car is found burning at the bottom of a ravine in Burnett County, Texas, just before sunrise on the morning of June 18, 2004. A passerby phones it in, and this puts the wheels in motion for what I would think to be one of the most bizarre cases police in the area have ever dealt with. What makes this case so peculiar? Well, come hang out with me while I talk true crime. Hello and welcome to Hell No, a true crime podcast with your host, Lauren Lucio. And welcome to the morning show, I should say, because I'm recording this in the morning. I have a cold. Sorry about that. There was nothing I could do. I've tried. Um, I just got back from dropping my dog off at the vets, which I'm not too happy to do, but I had to get her uh, fixed. So that's happening and I'm uh, nervous. So I'm just gonna, just gonna work it all away. Let's just, let's just get into this case. Police are faced with the heartbreaking task on the morning of June 18th in 2004 to locate 21-year-old Molly Daniels and inform her the vehicle she owns with her husband was found at the bottom of a ravine burnt to a crisp. The car was a 1999 green Chevy Cavalier and inside was recovered about 12 pounds of human remains, which had also been almost entirely cremated. So the car was very burnt out. Everything inside was very burnt out, including the remains of this person. Along with the remains was found items belonging to Molly's husband, Clayton, such as a silver chain necklace, a Harley Davidson pin, and remnants of his his shoe and clothing, clothing that he was wearing when he was last seen leaving the house in that vehicle. Although police were not 100% sure this was in fact Molly's husband, they were pretty sure. They were sure enough to tell Molly they think it is her husband. So they're not 100% sure, but they're like, well, everything's kind of pointing to uh, this is your husband and he has been killed in a fiery wreck. This made sense to police. It made sense to Molly. It, it was just making sense because Clayton, he was the last known driver of that vehicle and he had not been seen since the night before when he left in that vehicle to go visit his mother. He never returned. Clayton was supposed to be back by morning because Molly, she needed the car to get to work. And also, Clayton was supposed to be home to look after their two young children while Molly was at work. Clayton, he was an unemployed mechanic, so the daytime child care was his responsibility and he was usually there for this. On this morning, it would appear that Clayton, he would never be coming home again. Investigators... They want to go over everything meticulously and not leave any room for assumptions. So they send a piece of the hip bone that was found in the vehicle. So there wasn't much remains left. There was 12 pounds. Most of it had been burnt away to ash. But they did have a piece of this hip bone and they took a hacksaw and they hacked into it and they sent this away for DNA testing. 
And for this, so they could identify this as Clayton, they asked his mother for help and she provided her own DNA to compare it to the remains in the vehicle since Clayton is her biological son. Investigators, they would be able to link the link the two, giving them a, enough peace of mind to declare Clayton dead. So this DNA testing, it was going to take about six months. And since the autopsy report said that the remains in the vehicle did belong to a man, everyone proceeded on with, with mourning Clayton. Clayton's funeral was held and this was not your classic church funeral. No, 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 no. There was a dirt bike on display to honor the man who once loved mechanics. He absolutely loved motorcycles and and dirt bikes and I think basically anything with an engine he was into. The song Free Bird played, uh, the, the Leonard Skinner song. So that, that was the song playing. There was a, a dirt bike propped up there for everyone to see there was a confederate flag folded up and uh laid on this dirt bike and there was flowers surrounding it so this was like a memorial shrine i don't know what you would call it and the whole time Freebird is just blasting through the speakers playing so it's quite a I, i've never been to a funeral like that uh, so clayton's best friend he stood up to say some kind words about clayton Apparently, <laughs> apparently there weren't too many to say, which led to his friend admitting to everyone Clayton was an asshole. <laughs> I think that was the exact word he used to describe Clayton. It didn't sound like he sugarcoated this, like, oh, every time Clayton walks into a room, the room is brighter because he's there. No, he was like, yeah, nah he was an asshole <laughs> so <laughs> this funeral is uh interesting I don't know if it would be awkward I'm feeling awkward just talking about it to be honest let's take a look at who uh, Clayton was shall we so we've just learned he was kind of a bit of an asshole uh, Clayton was often described as a layabout which I guess means no job no ambition kind of deal uh, he wasn't really known for his sunny disposition, uh, as I read at least one story about his aggressive nature, uh, and in this story was about that apparently he was going out to dinner with his wife, and when dropping the children off at his relatives, he started a fight with the upstairs neighbors about how loud they were being, and there were some violent tones I'm gonna I was gonna say undertones but it seemed like it was they, there was nothing under about these tones at all during this argument there were some violent tones um and I believe Clayton told the people why don't you like come down here and fight me or it was it was something like it, it you know, it, it seemed scary when I was reading about it. I was like, oh okay, that escalated quickly. And something tells me this might not have been a one-off event for Clayton. This might be a very common occurrence in his life. Um, but as of lately, Clayton, he had been dealing with legal issues as well. And these legal issues were involving sexual assault of a minor, a seven-year-old girl to be exact. Uh, 
At this time in 2004, Clayton was 23 years old. Uh, just two years earlier, reports of him sexually assaulting the seven-year-old girl had come out. These are the brief details to this assault. This does involve a child. I'm not going to use uh, graphic words or or go into detail not required here. I'm just going to say the bare minimum, but I do want to give a trigger warning now because this does involve a child. It does involve uh, sexual assault. So when Clayton was 16 years old, in 1996, he sexually assaulted his seven-year-old cousin. The article I read, it did use the word rape. It wasn't until 2002 that the allegations were brought forward and Clayton did plead guilty or possibly no contest to aggravated sexual assault on a child. By pleading guilty or by not contesting, he got zero jail time. And it seemed that he got a, a very light sentence. So I don't know the details about this. This is, that's um, everything that I could find about it. And his punishment was 10-year deferred adjudication. There were mandatory elements to this. And Clayton, he did not end up meeting the mandatory requirements, which landed him back in court because he did not meet with his probation officer he was sentenced to 30 days in jail which was to be served just three days after his vehicle was found burnt to a crisp at the bottom of that ravine so this is what's happening in his life when he when his car is found at uh, in the bottom of that ravine burnt to a crisp he was supposed to spend 30 days in jail very soon uh, for all, all of that stuff. So he and Molly's vehicle, it was found on the 18th. His 30-day jail time was to start on the 21st. He would also be added to a sex offender's registry, which would mean he, he could not continue living by a school, which he currently did. It would also mean his his time and his relationships surrounding his children, that would be affected. And I mean, rightfully so. What he's being accused of, what he pled guilty to is absolutely horrific. And I, you know, he should not be around children. He should not live by a school. He should not have his own children alone with him. Ooh, I just don't, I do not agree with him being anywhere near, near children. If he's pled guilty to sexually assaulting a seven-year-old girl no just no so that is just a brief look into Clayton's life and whose funeral this was so this is the guy whose friend is standing up saying oh he's an asshole okay Clayton did have many people come to give their condolences though and he had at least 100 attendees to his funeral Molly now being a single mother she needed help there was no one to look after her children when she worked and things, they were tough financially before she lost her husband. So Molly's co-workers, they all pitched in and they raised $1,000 for her. Flyers were hung up around town asking if anyone could help a newly widowed woman with two small children and her neighbor pitched in to help her with child minding. The community seemed to be very sympathetic towards Molly and they came together to help her the best they could. They really rallied around her. Molly didn't expect things to stay 
this tough though you know she knew there was over a hundred thousand dollars of life insurance that was on Clayton and she was going to collect she was the beneficiary of this uh, once the insurance company could sign off on Clayton's death the insurance company they had to wait until the DNA evidence came back saying it was indeed Clayton in that vehicle and he was in fact dead so the insurance company was like we need proof where is the DNA so while we're waiting for the DNA to come back let's have a look at the investigation of the actual crash okay so this car crashed at this stage in the case it could be going many directions where's this case going we don't know did Molly somehow have a hand in a, let's say, sinister act involving this crash? Did Molly want her husband dead for the life insurance? What's going on here? Is Molly even involved? Evidence shows there was no indication that the vehicle tried to stop before going off the road. So, was whoever driving conscious at the time? Did they mean to do this? What does this lack of of skid marks mean. It is common to see skid marks in this situation because the driver obviously is going to try to stop abruptly to prevent the crash. There were no skid marks present at the scene. There was none at all on the road. So what's going on here? Police, they look at the trail the car made heading down the t- to get down to the ravine and it's clear that the vehicle was going very slow and steady because it didn't it didn't lift off the ground once it went slow and steady the whole way down there was a perfect trail made by the tires so it wasn't bumping and flying all over the place the vehicle although burnt to a crisp was not smashed up as it would be expected to be if it had gone off road in such a violent way Someone died in this wreck, but where is all the damage uh, not caused by the fire? Where is the impact damage? So we can see where it's been burned, but where has it, where has this violent damage happened? That's the scene evidence. Now let's move on to the arson investigation. What caused the vehicle to go up? in a blaze what caused that fire to start well forensic arson investigator janine mather she found it odd that the vehicle starter fuel lines fuel tank battery and ignition switch were all ruled out as having anything to do with the fire she looked this over herself and she's thinking what's going on here these are intact none of these started this fire what's happening Since all those possibilities were ruled out, she collected samples from the vehicle, like burned remnants of vehicle. And she had that sent off for testing. When she gets those samples back, it is clear that an accelerant was used. That accelerant was charcoal lighter fluid. And I learned this on the Forensic Files episode that Forensic Files did on this. And they go right into the exact machine and process used to discover that this was charcoal lighter fluid used as an accelerant. Very interesting episode. I love Forensic Files. Anyways, I've linked it in my show notes if you want to watch the Forensic Files on this one. The, qu- the question is, is this now murder? Well, let's find out. The autopsy of the remains also concluded 
from the lung tissue, I believe, or bits of the lung, that smoke was not inhaled, meaning the person who died in that vehicle was dead before the fire started. Another thing that was pointed out and found to be odd was that the seat under the remains showed no signs of bodily fluid. The human body it has a lot of blood and organs and and waste in it. And all that stuff, it needs to go somewhere. But where was it? Was it on that seat? Something else strange happened after Clayton was assumed dead in this car crash fire. Molly's sister was at Molly's house. And when she went into a closet to get something, she was startled. What was she startled by? She was startled by the sight of a man sleeping on the floor in the closet. What? Who is this person? So Molly's sister, she ran to find Molly to tell her, hey, there's a man in your closet. And she did find her. And so they re- they returned back to this closet. And Molly's like, sister, you're crazy. There's nobody there. Look, there's nobody there. And her sister's like, I saw somebody there. And her sister's like, well, clearly there isn't. There isn't anybody there. Go take a nap, okay? Go take a nap. Go drink some water because you are seeing things. Okay, that's a really odd thing to happen, isn't it? About a month after this car fire, Molly, she jumped right back into dating, it seemed. A man was seen coming around her house and giving her rides to work. This man was also seen coming out of Molly's home in his underwear. <laughs> Why was he coming out of her house in his underwear? Well, he was get he was going to go help Molly start her car one morning when the battery wouldn't work. And this is when people were like, hmm. Why is he coming out of her house in his underwear early in the morning? Well, he must have slept there is the answer to that. Molly's children, they also knew this new boyfriend. They were introduced to him and they were talking about this guy a lot to the neighbor who would watch them. And the guy that these kids were talking about, Molly's new boyfriend, is Jacob Gregg or Jake you know, they call him Jacob, Jake, Greg, whatever. People, they were curious about this Jacob, Greg guy. And they asked Molly, hey, where did you meet this new guy you're seeing? And she would give really confusing and nonspecific answers that didn't seem to really form a cohesive story. So that was odd. Molly, okay, so... People saw her getting into this relationship promptly after the death of her husband. And this led people to suspect that maybe she had been in this relationship with him before this car accident, before Clayton was assumed dead. Which would mean Molly was having an affair. This is what people were alleging this is what people were assuming that maybe molly was having an affair and then all of a sudden her husband dies that doesn't look good if that's the case doesn't look good you know you call that speculation okay we're gonna call that speculation that you know this is going to lead people to ask 
was there more to this car accident than meets the eye? And the answer to that, I can tell you the answer to that is yes. Yes, there is more here than meets the eye. It might not be what you're thinking, or is it? Eventually, five months passes and the DNA results, they're in. Oh, they're in. And on November of 2004, the DNA of the remains found in the vehicle are not those of Clayton Daniels. Whoa, that was a real Jerry Springer moment there. They are not. They are not the remains of Clayton Daniels. So where is Clayton Daniels? His biological mother, who gave her DNA sample and... um whoever's sample they tested hers against that was found in that vehicle. The remains found in that vehicle was not related to her. And this was Clayton's biological mother. The DNA from the remains, it was taken from inside the hip bone, like I said. And it was well-preserved. Nothing was compromised. This was his biological mother. It would have matched. So what the heck is happening here? Police, they put Molly under surveillance, and I love a good surveillance story. They are looking for anything to give them answers. And on December 3rd, 2004, they uncover a huge piece of the puzzle. On this day, police follow Molly and her new dark-haired boyfriend to a Taco Bell, where, I guess, they were having a lunch date, I would presume. Damn, I haven't been to Taco Bell in like 20 years. Maybe maybe longer. I gotta go to Taco Bell. Anyway, so this is where Molly and her boyfriend are. As Molly and this Jacob guy are sitting down eating, an officer walks in. He goes up to them. And the officer asks this guy, um, are you Clayton Daniels? The guy says no. I'm Jacob Gregg, and here's my Texas ID with my name and photo on it. Look at my hair. It's slightly longer and darker than whoever you're talking about. The cop is looking at the ID, then looking back at Jacob, looking at the ID, then looking back at Jacob's dark hair. (laughs) And the cop, he finally is like, no, no, you are not this person okay, come with me. The man arrested was not Jacob Gregg. It was Clayton Daniels all along. Dun, dun, dun. What kind of Scooby-Doo crime is this? Clayton, for real, thought he could dye his hair black, grow it out for a few months, and call himself two first names... And no one would notice it's him. Yeah, that's right. He's very much alive. He was never killed in a car accident. He was never burned to death. And Molly, well, was she in on it or wasn't she in on it? Let's keep listening. There's a lot. We've got a lot more questions to answer now, don't we? So he wasn't hiding for very long. He was driving around. He was leaving the house. Um... Apparently, he was sleeping in a closet, so I don't know why he's driving around, gallivanting all around town, but then he comes home and then he's sleeping in a closet. I don't know. Maybe the first month he was thinking, okay, I'm going to live 
in this closet. I'm going to wait for everyone to forget who I am. Then I'm going to reappear as Jacob Gregg. (laughs) Where did he get that name from? I don't know. And maybe he's also thinking, when I reappear as Jacob Gregg, I can live my life without this sexual assault charge and conviction hanging over my head. And also I can collect the life insurance money on myself and I won't have to go to jail for 30 days and I won't be put on a sex registry and I'll be able to live by schools where young children are. What a plan. What a plan. While being held, Jacob Gregg, aka Clayton Daniels, he makes the classic mistake and he overshares to his cellmate. He refused to tell police whose remains were in that burned out car, his burned out car. He wouldn't tell police. He's like, I ain't telling you nothing. But then... He goes to jail and he's up late at night and he's getting pretty loose-lipped with his cellmate. So I don't know. Maybe they were making their own vodka. Maybe they had their own prison booze going around. But um, before you know it, they were playing truth or dare. And I guess it was Clayton's turn to do a truth. I don't know. Clayton, he tells this guy, He tells his cellmate that he faked his own death and his wife helped him. And then he goes into further detail. Were you wondering, and I I know you were, I don't even know why I got to ask, what remains were in that burnt out vehicle? Did they murder someone and put their body in there? Where did they get this body from? Well, Clayton, he also explains this to his cellmate. The remains found in the vehicle were from the grave of an elderly lady who had recently passed away some six months before. And he and his wife dug up this recently laid to rest body and planted her corpse in their vehicle. The two then rolled it into the ravine and lit it on fire with charcoal lighter fluid. What? what? (laughs) This is not something that people do in reality and get away with. This is movie stuff. I I don't know. Okay. I guess Clayton thought he could avoid his 30 days in jail. He could avoid his name going on the sex offenders registry. Like I was saying before, he could avoid having to move away from the the home he was living in because it was located um, near a school. He was supposed to move away from that. He didn't want to do that. And also, I'm I'm pretty sure he wasn't going to be allowed to see his kids if he's on a sex offender registry. Like, could he be around a four-year-old and a one-year-old? And, you know, they're getting older. So, I don't know. He's got a, he's been convicted for sexually assaulting a seven-year-old girl. I'm sure he wouldn't be allowed to be around his kids. So he thought faking his own death, well, everything would just work out for him, wouldn't it? He could start all over again as as Jacob Gregg. Well, his plan, it did not work for long, did it? Uh, He was now caught, and now he is looking at way more than 30 days in jail. So he thought he had it bad before. (laughs) Wait till you see what's coming for you, Jacob Gregg. (laughs) Or should I say Clayton Daniels? 
what was Molly saying about all this mess, mess though? Like, what's, what's up, Molly? What are you saying over there? You're pretty quiet. Well, Molly, she tells police she thought, she thought her husband was dead. She thought it. <laughs> and it and it came as a shock to her when he reappeared a month later. Yeah, right. Yeah, okay, right, lady. I do not believe that for a single damn second. Not for a single second did I believe that. Because didn't her sister see a man sleeping in Molly's closet? Yes, 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 she did. And Clayton admits that was him sleeping in the closet. And when he heard Molly's voice, that's what woke him up, and then he, he ran and hid. So is it possible Molly had no idea that Clayton was living in their house? No fucking way. <laughs> There's just no way. That makes Molly look like she knew damn well he was alive, and I definitely believe she did. Investigators, they want to follow up on this robbed grave situation. So they hear this. They hear that Clayton's in a cell at nighttime, loose slipping to his cellmate. They get the deets, and they're like, let's check it out. Let's go to some graveyards. So they start poking around cemeteries near the area of the crash and sure enough they find a, a very disturbed grave and I think it I think it was the forensic files I uh, watched about this which I talked about earlier when they're talking about looking for the grave they say something like and in the police's experience they know that people don't like to drive far with corpses in their car I'm like, what is their experience? Like, how do they know that? How do the police like? Can can I have some? Can I have some field notes on this? Can I have some case files? Like, what? I don't know. That just threw me off. Police. Okay, so they're like, this is where the crash happened. He's saying he grabbed a body from a grave. They're in our experience. We know people don't like to drive far with corpses. In their car, I guess. Okay, so investigators, they follow up on this. And so they start searching cemeteries in close proximity to where the crash happened. And like I was saying, they find a very disturbed grave. Police dig up the casket. And when they open the casket, which should be the final resting place for 81-year-old Charlotte Davis, who passed away in December of 2003, they find an empty casket. Charlotte's grave is bodiless. Where's her body? Charlotte's body is gone. Police, they chose to examine her grave because the headstone, it had been moved. The earth had clearly been dug up and, and filled back in. And it was essentially left in shambles. Police, they just had to prove that Charlotte was in fact taken out of her eternal resting place by Clayton and Molly. So how... How are they going to link this to that, that to this? Clayton, he's now being honest with police. And he was saying that he is guilty of faking his own death and trying to scam the insurance company. But he's saying he acted alone. He did it all alone. Molly had nothing to do with any of it. Molly, she was sticking to her innocent story and still claiming she really had no idea he was alive until he popped back up a month later into her life. What? <laughs> what, was she just doing dishes at the kitchen sink? And then all of a sudden his face pops up in the window in front of her and he's like, hello, guess what? I'm not dead. Like, no, the <laughs> police, they're not buying this story. She didn't 
she didn't tell anybody, oh man, my husband's back from the dead. Like, it's just a completely bizarre story that she's trying to say she actually thought that he was dead for a full month and then he popped back up and she didn't say anything to anybody about it. She was supportive of his insane plan. Molly's work computer is looked over by forensics and they discovered, I don't want to say a mountain, I'm going to say a pile. They discovered a pile of evidence. There were, this is where things get a little bit weird because the only reason police could find this evidence is because Molly had a virus on her computer. What luck? That is so lucky for police. That is so, have you ever heard of a keystroke virus? I have only briefly heard of these and it's, a type of malware, I believe. Forgive me if my terminology is inaccurate. I, it's not my specialty. What it does do, from what I understand, is it records every letter, every word typed. And I believe the hackers, whoever this malware belongs to, they then have access to that document. I believe it creates it in a Word document. Something seems simple. Uh, and the whoever this malware belongs to, they must keep track of whose computer it is in because then they have everything you've ever typed on your computer. So banking passwords, email passwords, sensitive information, everything. Every button you click, your password to get into your computer, everything. So as you can imagine, that is very valuable because someone could secretly have you install this. You can get it through clicking on things or clicking, opening emails that you don't know who they belong to. It can just get into your computer all kinds of, all kinds of ways. And this hacker can just have full access to your life, full access to your money. It's, it's really scary. But this was on Molly's work computer. This virus, which meant anything that Molly had search for online it may have been deleted from her history but it was not deleted from this keystroke virus word document investigators discover molly she has a huge part in this she had a huge part in this fake car accident death plan defiling grave situation she had been researching it before it happened she had been they spent months researching this she was searching things like unidentified body 1500 degree fahrenheit fire which i'm assuming she was looking up cremation she was looking up where to get a body that can't be identified <laughs> on her work computer and she had no idea every keystroke was being recorded by a virus. <laughs> See what I mean? That's a little weird. That is a little weird. Police then move to her and Clayton's home, to Molly and Clayton's home, which police have a warrant for. And they find two bottles of charcoal lighter fluid, along with fabricated documents to change Clayton's identity to Jacob Gregg. <laughs> I use that as my alias. <laughs> if I'm out in the street, someone asks me, hey, what's your name? I'm going to say Jacob Gregg. <laughs> uh, okay, so Molly, she seemed to be the mastermind behind Jacob Gregg's identity. I'm not sure 
what she does for a living. I believe it's office administration. And I definitely believe that because, well, I, I read it in, in some articles, but also she did a really good job fabricating these documents. I'm going to, I'm going to, I didn't personally see these, but from what I understand, there was, it was pretty legit. There were fake Jacob Gregg documents such as school transcripts, state records, and credit reports. And uh, he had that state of Texas ID. Whether that ID was fabricated or obtained through fabricated documentation, I'm not sure. And I would like to know that because that could tell me, you know, how good Molly really was at doing this. Like, did she actually trick the state of Texas into believing Jacob Gregg existed using school transcripts, state records, and, and credit reports? Hearing all of this, I think it's safe to say we all know Molly was in on this scam from day one. I think it's safe to say that. So what actually happened that night? What really happened that night? Police are thinking the night looked a little like this. Molly and Clayton, they had spent a while planning this. They had spent months planning it. And on the night of June 17th, they disturbed and desecrated Charlotte's grave, robbing her from her eternal slumber. They placed her body in the vehicle, peppered in Clayton's personal effects, steered the vehicle down the ravine, doused it in lighter fluid, lit it up, and then fled the scene. All Molly had to do now was go home, hide Clayton in her closet, act surprised when the police came a-knockin', and then collected over 100 grand in life insurance money. Had the insurance company not have held out for the DNA results, Molly and Clayton, they would have taken that money, they were going to take their children, and they were going to flee to Mexico, where they had planned to get Clayton in to get dental work done. So I'm not sure what was going on with his teeth, but he wanted new teeth, whether that was part of a disguise, whether that was to fix the teeth he had, I don't know. But he also wanted plastic surgery on his face, and that is for sure so he can not ever be recognized as Clayton Daniels anymore. This was going to be him taking on Jacob Gregg's appearance. And Molly, she wasn't going to be left out of all of this. You know, she helped with this insurance scam. So with her portion of her $100,000, she was going to get a tummy tuck. That's what she wanted. That's what she wanted in Mexico. Molly, she claimed innocence for a while, but then when police said, well, hey, look at all this information we found on your computer. Look at all this evidence we found in your house. She finally confessed. Molly told investigators they had put their plan together by getting ideas from crime television shows like Law & Order. Wow. How did you not succeed? <laughs> Molly, she did plead guilty to insurance fraud and hindering apprehension. Hindering apprehension, this was a relatively new uh, term for me. I had never seen this in the cases that I have covered. And it basically means, well, it does mean that she's involved in, um, that she has helped a person that has committed a felony. For these crimes, she was sentenced to 20 years in prison, 
but she only did 12 years and she was released in 2016. Clayton, he pleads guilty for insurance fraud, arson, and desecration of a cemetery. For these charges, he is sentenced to 30 years in prison. He got 30 years because a portion of that was because of the probation violation in regards to the sexual aggravated sexual uh, assault sentence that he, that he had been dealing with. So he got 30 years in prison. It took longer than expected, but his victim that once was that seven-year-old girl, her and her family, they finally get justice in the end. Clayton is behind bars. He can't hurt any more children while he's there. And I'm just sure her and her family are, are really relieved that Clayton is in prison for a long time. And he still is in prison as far as I know. There are a few really sad parts to this case. This was far from a victimless crime. Police believe Molly and Clayton chose Charlotte's grave because of when she had died. They had been looking through the obituaries and and recent deaths or, I don't know, to, to figure out recent deaths because they wanted a fresh body but not too fresh. And also they thought nobody would visit Charlotte. They thought nobody would visit her grave. She would have no family or friends and nobody would realize her grave had been tampered with. So they were purposefully seeking out an elderly lady that had no family. And in one of the documentaries I watched, it said that Charlotte, she was disabled for a large portion of her life. And she had spent a long, long time in a wheelchair. And it's just so sad that she finally passes on. She gets laid to rest. And then six months later, She's being dug up. She's being thrown into a vehicle. She's being, you know, put down into a ravine and then being lit on fire. It's just so sad. Hopefully Charlotte's remains were laid back to rest. uh, And hopefully she can uh, stay where she is for the rest of time. I was also thinking about that autopsy report where it read... It was male bones found in the burned vehicle. Who did that report? Who did that report? Who is the coroner or the medical examiner or the autopsy technician who made that report? Because they, I don't want to say they should be fired, but they should definitely go back into training. And I mean, that might sound kind of harsh and maybe I'm really off here, but can't professionals tell the difference between a 23-year-old male's bones and an 81-year-old woman's bones. Are there not signs of osteoporosis? Are there not signs in in the pelvis area? Are there not? I thought there, like they could dig up cavemen from a long time ago. And be like, oh, that was a cave woman. That was a cave man. I can tell because of the skull. I can tell they were this old because of the way that the skull has formed. Or I can tell that the woman had given birth because the pelvis bone is open. Or I don't know. How come they couldn't tell it in this case? Was there just not enough remains? And if that's the case, should they have written on that autopsy report that it was undetermined whether the remains were from a male or female. Like what made them say male? 
I got to say, for a minute there, it was actually looking like Molly and Clayton were going to get away (laughs) with faking his death. They may have done a lot of things wrong, but they also set it up in a way that if the police would have been sleeping on the job, so to speak, they could have they could have got away with this. When I was researching this case, I um I came across an article. I I've linked it in my show notes. And at the bottom of this article, it had space below it where people could comment their thoughts. So I started reading these thoughts and someone is saying that they're the son of Molly and Clayton Daniels and this person commented on this post so I'm unsure if Clayton and Molly's son's name is Jack I know they have a son but I don't know his name it could be could be Jack totally possible I mean Jack Daniels if Molly and Clayton Daniels did have a son oh no no they they do have a son we know that how could they resist that old number seven reference? You know, I think it just has to be done. I, I couldn't prove, I couldn't find proof that this person commenting with the name Jack Daniels claiming to be their son was actually their son. But let's just, I'm just going to read you the comments. On June 9th of 2016 at 7.08 a.m., user Melissa writes, What a pair of degenerates. I doubt their jail time will reform their characters either. Hope the police will keep an eye on them wherever they go when they're released. Okay, so that's from Melissa. Underneath that, Jack Daniels comments years later. So he comments in 2020. On May 12th at 2.21 p.m. And this is under Jack Daniels. Hello, I would like you to know that although they both did bad things in their lifetime, they are good people. I am, in fact, the child to these people. What they did was to keep a family together. And though you may not like them, I forgive them. They may have caused my life to be harder than it should have been, but I forgive them. Wow. So if that is from their son, he forgives them. He realizes they fucked up but molly does always say i did this to keep the family together why did she have to do that to keep the family together well because clayton he was not going to be allowed to be around children he couldn't be around his children because he sexually assaulted a seven-year-old girl and people they're commenting that they could never forgive clayton for molesting or sexually abusing a seven-year-old girl um but you know they hope that their children that Clayton and Molly's children that they grow up and they have a good life which I mean fair enough I do feel for the children involved here I feel for Clayton and Molly's children they were just one and four years old when this happened and when their parents went to jail Molly's parents took them in so Molly's their grandmother raised them and when Molly was released from prison uh, the four-year-old would have been 16 or 17 years old and the youngest would have been 13 or 14 so it would have been a very tough dynamic I'm sure for them to be integrated back into their mother's life um I also just want to say that in earlier in the podcast when I was talking about Clayton and his cell uh telling his cellmate a bunch of stuff they weren't actually playing truth or dare I added that for dramatic effect so don't go around being like oh did you hear that case where that guy was playing truth or dare in his cell because <laughs> I that that they didn't they weren't actually playing truth or dare uh Clayton was just being 
very open and honest, I guess, with his cellmate. I just, I want to play you a, a, a little blooper. So the, the case is over, everybody. I'm just going to do a little blooper. So when I was recording this case and I said something like, and eh, there was a man coming around her house, the guy who changes water meters or whatever the fuck he's doing comes walking down my driveway and starts yelling hello hello as I'm saying that so I'm gonna play that clip there because it scared the shit out of me and I just thought it was really weird I was like stay away from me and give me that flyer but go away and I don't want to see you again and then I locked all my doors (laughs) so I'm gonna play that clip now a man was seen coming around her house and giving her rides to work Oh, holy shit. One second. (laughs) Wasn't that? That's so weird, isn't it? Okay, well, that concludes this week's case. And what I'm going to say is to desecrating and defiling graves, I say hell no. You know what? Just leave the dead alone. Check out Hell No, a true crime podcast on TikTok where I will talk about cases I'm covering. I used to say do a brief overview, but I wouldn't quite call it a brief overview. I just kind of chit chat about an upcoming case or a case that has been put out. If Instagram is your thing, then I am on there as well under the same handle, which is hell no underscore a true crime podcast. If you want to send me a spooky story for the Halloween episodes, please do so at hell no podcast at outlook.com. All one word, hell no podcast at outlook.com. And finally, please open your Spotify. Take five seconds right now. Open your Spotify. Open your Apple podcast. Open whatever you're streaming through. And just hit that follow button. But most important, hit that five-star rating button. I thank you. Thanks for listening and see you next week.